0: It's the daily podcast trying to make long-term sense out of the chaos of today's global crisis. It's kind of like the elephant in the room. This show, we've talked about the impact of the coronavirus pandemic on everything from capitalism to democracy to our individual well-being. But the one thing we actually haven't talked about is that horrible gorilla in the womb, the virus itself. Um and uh, what life is like on the front lines in fighting that violence uche blackstock uh, is a doctor a researcher very distinguished um uh figure in, in the medical world who is based in new york and is actually uh fighting the virus as an emergency physician uche uh, perhaps very briefly you could tell our listeners um a little bit about what you are doing now and what you've done in your medical career.
1: Sure. So right now I've been working essentially, as you said, on on the front lines, seeing patients two to three times a week, uh, long shifts, about 12 hour shifts. Um, I would say in in mid-March, everything sort of changed. We were ending flu season and our patient numbers were going down, Uh, we were recovering from flu season, then all of a sudden we just started seeing many very, very sick patients, many of them complaining of fever, cough, and very concerningly, uh, shortness of breath and chest tightness. And I even talked to some of my colleagues who have been practicing emergency medicine for over 35 years. I mean, I myself have been practicing for 10 years, but, you know, they all said that they'd never seen anything like uh, the coronavirus pandemic in terms of, you know, how sick our patients are, and as well as the the number, just the sheer volume of patients coming in uh, to seek help. And one other thing I noticed, you know, I work at several sites in central Brooklyn, and we noticed really a change in the, the demographics of our patient population. Typically, we we care for a very racially and socioeconomically diverse uh, patient pool. But we noticed that as the pandemic went on, that more of our patients were you know Black and Latino. Many of them, many, many, in fact, were essential workers. They worked for the subway or they were bus drivers. Many of them also were food delivery Um you know, uh, had food delivery uh, jobs for, uh, you know, Seamless or Grubhub, these uh, food apps. And so many of them were, uh, despite the shelter in place order that we had in New York, many of them were still being exposed, so to speak, and on the front lines uh, as well. And so we just had some numbers come out from New York City and New York State Departments of Health really confirming that we're seeing a very disparate impact of coronavirus on uh, black and brown communities in in New York City. And and that is being really echoed um, in cities across the United States at this time.
0: Uh, Dr. Blackstock, before we we get on perhaps to the, 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 the politics of the virus, what's it like? What are these hospitals like? Everyone has seen... Um, the stories about them on, on television and social media, but very few people, and um, we've all been lucky if we haven't been in these hospitals, of course. Is it as as awful, as bleak, as chaotic as, 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 as we've been told to believe?
1: So, you know, I would say that, you know, at the apex of the pandemic here in, in New York City, which, you know, which is the epicenter in the United States, that things were very, very bad. Things were very bad. Um, you know, there was concern even within a few days that we'd be running out of ventilators uh, for patients and that healthcare workers would be running out of personal protective equipment, otherwise known as uh, PPE. So a few weeks ago, things were quite dire here. And I know it's very hard for people to understand, especially seeing images on the news and not being there in person to see the suffering. But it really was um Quite profound, the number of patients and how sick they came in, and so I would say when you talk to many healthcare professionals here in New York City or throughout the country, been working on the front line, many of us are forever changed by the experience that we've had over the last few weeks.
0: Have you read Camus' Plague? Did you? I have not. Ah, because that's that's a book which, in some ways, is about the impact of of a plague, a pandemic, on on physicians.
1: Interesting, because I I, I will say that, you know, it's interesting because, you know, in in our medical training, many of us, you know, we don't really talk a lot, have the opportunity to talk a lot about uh, our feelings and our emotions going, you know, taking care of people, especially in the emergency department. We're used to patients being very sick. We're used to patients dying. But this was on really another scale. And, you know, I, I don't know if you've heard, but we I even had a physician colleague um, recently commit suicide uh, um, uh, mm-hmm. last week. Uh, and that was someone who had been working in the emergency department in a leadership role as well, had contracted coronavirus, um, and then was on leave. And so I think that we also have to think about how are our healthcare systems, how are we caring for healthcare workers, and especially when we have crises, to really ensure that they have the um, adequate emotional and psychological support.
0: Mm, We'll definitely come on to that. But one more question about life on the front line. What about the impact on the patients themselves? Some of the stuff I've read suggests that um, the 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 virus is uh, sort of mal- lingers or <laughs> mal- mal- lingers, and, and patients often feel they're okay, and then yes. suddenly, suddenly they 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 they're, they're right. taken away from us.
1: Right. That is, and that, that's such an interesting. You know, we're learning so so much about this new you know, novel virus, and one thing that you know I've noticed in my patients that they have you know fluctuating symptoms that can last weeks. You know, there's some people who are able to clear it from their system within a week, but there are some people who still have coughing and shortness of breath five to six weeks later. And then there are other people, as you alluded to, who, you know, are feel ill, seem to get better and then deteriorate very rapidly. And that's, you know, also... been been documented as well. So I I, I will say that many of us have never really seen a virus this, and I I can't find any other word to describe it, but this nasty, uh, what it does to not just the lungs, but the entire human body in terms of of damage. And there are even some cases of the virus, you know, causing an encephalitis, affecting the brain, uh, causing kidney damage, causing blood clots in the lungs, actually, Uh, So there are many things that this virus does that other viruses we've been exposed to have not.
0: It's interesting you use the word nasty, the current president of the United States, as you know, also uses that word. Um, How impressed or unimpressed have you been by the response of Cuomo in New York and Trump uh, at the federal level in terms of their response to the pandemic?
1: Right, so I mean, you obviously, you know, definitely being a healthcare worker and being someone who is concerned about having, um, you know, the appropriate resources, including uh, testing and personal protective equipment, I was very, uh, very disappointed by the the, the Trump administration's uh, response uh, to to coronavirus, especially given that we had adequate. Uh, time and knowledge about the virus, and we'd been notified by the World Health Organization about this, you know, this virus coming out of Wuhan uh, province. And so, when I think about, you know, the number of deaths that we've seen at this point in the United States, and I think about if we had had shelter in place weeks earlier, if we had had. Uh, The ability to have widespread testing, which we know is really key uh, to mitigating the spread of the virus in pandemics like this. Um, It's really painful. It's really painful to think about the number of lives that could have been saved. And I think what's also painful is just the um, acknowledgement now that we are going to be in this new abnormal, (laughs) so to speak, until we have a vaccine. And I think that was just sort of settling into my mind um, in in the last week because we really failed on so many fronts, especially in terms of testing and contact tracing, which is when you trace all of the people an infected person have come in contact with. And make sure that they self isolate. So these are just basic public health interventions that some countries uh, like China have, you know, were able to uh, enforce right away, and that the United States did a very poor job doing. I would say, um, in terms of my own governor, Governor Cuomo, I would say definitely um, overall, I've been pleased with his his leadership um, in, in this time. Um, I think that, you know, there's some, I definitely had some issues with how he um, addressed the issue of homeless in our uh, subways. Uh, you know, I don't know if you've heard, but in the subway system in New York City, now it's being closed between 1am and 5am. And yeah. as a result, thousands of homeless people now have nowhere to go. And so that really should have been thought through, I think, a little bit um, better, but overall, uh, Governor Cuomo has done a, an excellent job, and I think you can e- even see that in the trends now in terms of the cases, hospitalizations, and death rates from coronavirus in New York City. We are actually doing very, very well. Our we are we are trending downwards and in the right direction, whereas. The bulk of the rest of the country, their cases are going up. And so um, I'm really proud of New Yorkers and uh, leadership in this state as well.
0: Uh, I'm not putting words in your your mouth, of course, but it it seems as if you're suggesting that the Trump administration has blood on its hands in terms of its failure, its incompetence of dealing with the the pandemic. So what do you make of its Determination, it would seem, to uh, to move forward, to put America back to work, to suggest that the worst is over.
1: I'm shocked. I'm I'm shocked. I'm dismayed. I'm not surprised. Um, I think that we're going to see many more deaths from this virus as a result of of the reopening, uh, especially given that the, there are states that are having partial and full reopenings, and there their uh, caseloads are going up and so how how does that look how does that look your case rates are going up and, and you're reopening that only means more deaths and so no you can put those words in my mouth i mean i i think that um the the administration definitely has blood on its hands. I mean, I don't I don't see how when you look at the number of of deaths and cases here in the United States compared to any other country in the world we we've, we've, we've surpassed them. And so, how how does that reflect in terms of leadership? Right? So that that's a, that's a, a profound failure uh, in leadership on on President Trump's part and he and he has blood on his hands. Absolutely.
0: Uh, and Dr. Blackstock what advice would you give people listening to this who are still not sure whether or not they should be going out whether they whether they they might go to a restaurant whether they should go to the store that they don't really need to go to
1: yeah no i would say that you should only go out if it's essential (laughs) if you have a job that's essential if you need to pick up food but in terms of socializing at restaurants um or in bars, the risk is too high. You know, I understand that, you know, the weather is getting nice. There are a lot of people who want to go to the beach, um, but we really need to be thoughtful about this. And I think that uh, in order to have the success in terms of of lives preserved, it's going to require us to be in a little bit of pain for a a few months, right? It's going to be worth it in the end. So if you're going to have to stay home, so that we can save more lives, right? Then that's then that's the way it should be. It only makes sense to me.
0: Let's go back to the the uh, the racial disparities that you you mentioned earlier. There are some people who are, who who are suggesting that 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 this administration's seeming indifference now. To the, the pandemic, this suggestion that we're over the worst is somehow connected with the fact that it's affecting minority populations much more dramatically, particularly uh, black and brown people who are working. Uh, do you think there's something in that or is that just coincidental, given its, <laughs> it's bad history on the race right. and no, race uh, relations oh. front?
1: Well, what I would say is nothing is coincidental when it comes to this administration or systems um, that that oppress marginalized groups. I will also say that the federal response to addressing these racial disparities that we've been seeing in preliminary data, which has been quite damning, has been quite anemic. You know, I think that, you know, we have been waiting for guidance from um, Health and Human Services and the Center for Disease Control on how we can move forward in this moment you know, as I mentioned, we are going to be in this for at least a year, year and a half until we find a vaccine. So when uh, Anthony Fauci acknowledged these racial disparities a few weeks ago in a press conference and said, we'll have to deal with with these disparities when this is all over, uh, I said, no, we have to deal with them now this is uh, an urgent call there's many more deaths that we can prevent and so when we look at these communities and the communities affected what we can say is we should be allocating resources equitably so if there's certain communities where that are hot spots we should be sending testing to those sites to those areas we should be sending contact tracing we should be ensuring that the healthcare institutions in those neighborhoods have the adequate Resources, healthcare workers, oxygen, ventilators, to care for the people in those communities, and so I have not even seen even a, a simple plan such as that uh, put out by by uh, by the by uh, HHS or CDC, and so that's been incredibly disappointing. I think it's going to really be up to state and local authorities working with public health experts on this really to to address the disparities state by state
0: when this thing is over, hopefully um, hopefully, uh, it will be over, eventually anyway, um, do you think more and more people will look back and say that the profound failure of uh, the, the federal government to respond to the crisis, obviously it reflects very badly on Trump and on some of the people around him, but it may also reflect on the profound dysfunctionality of a privatized American health system. Uh, is this the straw, and it's a it's a it's a horrible straw that broke the camel's back when it comes to the American privatized uh, health system?
1: That remains to be seen, but I definitely think this is like the best case example of why we need you know universal health care. Um, I can't think of any any better reason for this because when yeah exactly as you alluded to when you look back you know we have the the federal government has disinvested in the public health infrastructure many of the the issues that we had relating to um you know testing supplies were because we have you know private companies making these supplies and there's a very there's a bureaucracy in terms of getting the testing supplies approved you know that the system is broken and um, i'm hoping that this is really will be a turning point in a positive way for us to really address the structural issues um, that have left us with a healthcare system that has not been able to care for patients um, adequately. I mean, even before this, of all industrialized countries, this country has the worst health outcomes, regardless of race, compared to other countries. And so, you know, that is saying something.
0: It's astonishing. Uh, Finally, perhaps to cheer us up a little bit, What's your sense on fixing this thing, whether it's drugs that will keep people alive or uh, in, in the longer run, a vaccine? Uh, should we be realistic about those things?
1: No, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are a lot of very smart people working on this throughout the World, um, and, and I'm confident that we're going to. It's probably going to be a vaccine before we'll find a treatment, um, and so again, the earliest that we can hope for is about uh, 12 months from now. And so I'm going to really think positive about this, and I think until then, we'll just have to adjust to our new abnormal, and w- whether that's wearing masks, socially distancing, and trying to um, trying to maintain until we until we have a vaccine that can can help all of us out.
0: Uh, and Dr. Blockstock, finally, uh, even heroes like you need a little bit of downtime. You can't work all the time. Are there, is there a book or two that keeps you going in these dark times that you might share with our listeners that they might also have a look at?
1: Oh, sure. Um, you know, I don't know if this, this book is necessarily a book that will make you feel good, but it's a really interesting book by um, Harriet washington who wrote a book called medical apartheid her most recent book is called a terrible thing to waste environmental racism and its assault on the american mind and it really is um just a brilliant book for people who want to really understand how um you know environmental racism actually affects health outcomes
0: well i really want to thank you on behalf of of my listeners as well for for doing what you're doing and keeping going And, and i really hope you keep well and perhaps uh When all this is over, you can come back on the show and and, and talk about more concretely what we've learned from all this.
1: Absolutely. I would love to. And thank you so much for having me.
0: You've been listening to Keynote, hosted by me, Andrew Key. Make sure to join us the rest of this season as we explore how to fix capitalism. Make sure to visit us at lithub.com See you next week, and thanks so much for listening.